Thank you for the music. Thank you for the reading of scripture. Thank you for the gathering under your name. God, it's so good and so great and such a wonder. I pray we never treat these moments as common, but to see how extravagant and wonderful they are. And it's a joy. Help us to see the joy that the world is missing out. And let us be comforted by that joy, the joy of knowing you love us unconditionally. We pray also for all the churches and people and meeting in the different parts of the world and remote places and homes on top of buildings underground in prisons. Lord, we're in this together. We're a family. We have family members all over the world that we may not, we, we will not know here, but we will meet up there with you. What a wonder that is to know that we're part of something bigger than what our eyes can see. Help us, Lord, dwell on that. And bless our message today. May we be convicted of our sins, the sins that we don't realize we're doing, the sins we realize we are doing, and the, and the sins that we have done that we need to flee from. Help us to lay it down at the cross, down at the feet of Jesus, to know that we have been fully forgiven and that we may rest in that. And then we can be filled with hope, joy, love, and peace to live the faith consistently before you and this world. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So today we're going to look at the last piece of armor, the sword. So our title then is Suit Up Part 5. This is the end of this small series of the armor of God. But before we look at this last piece, there's a few things that I want us to remember and, and to see the bigger context of it all. First, all of these armor pieces that we've gone over, they all point to the exact same thing ultimately, trusting in Jesus for our everything. And so each piece then is just a different way of explaining what that looks like in our life. Because ultimately, to have faith in Christ means that we are on this process or journey, really a life, life change from trusting in ourselves with everything to placing our trust in Him with everything. John the Baptist said it best in John, 30, uh, John uh, chapter 3, verse 30. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. And so that is our quest, if you will, a pursuit of Jesus Christ through faith in him alone, which, will, which increases and grows our relationship with him on a personal level in our life. For now, by faith in him, we are to see and understand that we're never alone. We're never on our own. But now Christ is ever present with us corporately, and individually. Through faith in Christ, we are to see how absolutely dependent we are on him now as we live our lives on this earth and face each passing day. And the days have been interesting. We are to advance in seeing how weak and insufficient we are without him so that we can rest and rely upon his power alone in our life, rest and rely upon his strength alone for each moment of our life, and rest and rely upon him for his wisdom alone for and with all things in our life. And so the reason why Paul is so descriptive with each piece of armor, which all, you know, point to the same thing ultimately, why he spends so much time in speaking to us about them and where they go, because he could have just said, put on the armor and moved on. The reason is that first, one of the primary reasons is that first, we 
so easily forget the wonders of the gift of Jesus in our life. We live, as we live our life, we forget about them and we forget what each armor piece represents now that we have Christ in our life. We forget the glory of our Savior and how He is on our side unconditionally now. We forget that He has done everything for us to be in a right relationship with God forever, forever. We too quickly look over the fact that we are justified before God now and that will never be undone by what we do. That we are now fully forgiven by God so that no matter if we lose and fail in this world, no matter the critical and harsh responses of the people around us about our wrongs, no matter the foolish choices that we do make that create more problems in our life, no matter how ignorant the words and thoughts that proceed from our mouths and hearts that make us look like fools, God's forgiveness will never run out because we have faith in Christ. And, and our end will be with God himself forever. For our sin cannot and will not and does not mess that up. Even the sins that we don't even realize that we're currently doing, and you're doing them, and you don't even realize it, all of our sin has been forgiven, past, present, and future. We are fully justified and forgiven right now through faith in Christ. I mean, that's it. I mean, the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us true rest in this world and from ourselves. For we have the favor of God upon us all by faith alone. And that will never change. That's never going to change. The gospel's good news. But again, we all agree that's true. I mean, we believe it, but we so easily forget it because we go right back to thinking that our success in this world with our relationships, our success in this world with our activities, our success in this world with getting it all right, our success at following the laws of God, our success in being faithful to God with all things, that doing such things as these that somehow will earn more God's favor and blessings and love in our life. But that's the exact opposite. Because the gospel says, rather God out of his grace alone just gives us his favor, just gives us blessings to us all through faith in his son, all because of his unconditional love for us, not out of our love for, for him. For we could do nothing to earn his love. He just gives his love. He loves us. He loves you because he loves you. That's it. And Jesus alone has earned and merited all the spiritual blessings for us to be given to us. And we have them now. And then he's going to give us even more. And we have so much more for us even in heaven. All these never-ending treasures of blessings are just thrown upon us, not because of what we do, but because of what has been done by Christ. All because he loves us. And yet sadly, I, I say this because even I view my life this way at times. Sadly, 
we often judge God's love for us and His favor for us and blessings for us by the current situations in our life. And when things are going bad, we think He must love us less. And then when things are going good, we think, ha-ha, He loves us more. Which is so far from the gospel truth. For the truth is this. The measure of His love is not seen in your circumstances, but is seen in what was done upon the cross. That is where we look and see the depths of His unconditional never-ending love over us and the blessings that come with it. For He sent Christ to die for sinners whom He loves. Christ died for sinners who had no love for Him, but He had unconditional love for them, us. And the cross is the absolute proof and perfect display of that unconditional love that God has for sinners and the wonderful blessings that come with it. See, Paul's main point of all of this at the end of chapter 6, all this armor, Paul is just saying to us over and over again for us to constantly look to Jesus by faith in everything and rest in Him. Having Jesus develop us and mold us to whom He has called us to be in Him. To have Him empower us to live, to think, to view the world as His free children now by faith alone in Him. That is what Paul wants us to realize, or really have us realize what we already have in Christ now, so that we draw by faith in Him our joy, in Him our hope, in Him our peace, our meaning, our insight, our values, and our outlooks on life. From Him we draw about how we go about our relationships. From Him we draw about how we interact and deal and, and be involved with our habits. From Him we draw from how we have an interaction with this world around us. And from Him, even how you interact with yourself, with your achievements and failures, that no one may ever know but you. See, there's no point in your life, there's no point within yourself in which Christ is not over. You are, you are not on your own to figure it out, ever. Christ died for all of your life. He died for all of you, not part of your life and not part of you, but all of you because He loves you so you can fully rest in Him. The gospel is the best news you will hear and you need to hear it every day. That's the main point at the end of chapter 6 here, that we draw all that we are from Jesus by faith in Him alone. Because... There is another main reason of what Paul is getting and addressing here at the end of chapter 6. There is an opposing force that's doing its best to stop you from realizing and resting in the wondrous news of this gospel now in your life. Satan and his, mission, his, Satan and his minions, through his influence of the world around us and in our lives, is on a mission to see that you forget about going to Jesus by faith for everything, forget to rest in his finished works on your behalf. Now, I know theologically we as Christians agree that Satan and his kingdom of darkness is that real work. Like, yes, yes, Satan is real. Yes, we believe that. But, big B, but 
we must realize that even though we are believers, we still have a sinful nature within us that makes us naturally forget to go to Christ for everything. That naturally makes us doubt his goodness and love and favor and blessing in our life. This is what the Bible will call the flesh. Though the power of sin has been defeated over us, it brings us no condemnation anymore. And we begin now to grow a distaste for sin so that we can turn away from sin and turn to Christ all through faith in him. Its presence is still there. It's lingering within us. It's raging a war within us that we still struggle with. As 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Realize Satan and the world in which he very much influences is doing its best to exploit your flesh, our flesh, our sin nature so that we pursue sin in our life and become entangled in new sins through whatever means he can. And I cannot emphasize enough that the goal of the world and Satan is to have us Christians only have Christ be part of our life or think he's only part of our life, to view him as only being involved with us in as little as possible, church stuff, and that's it. We too easily forget that Satan's on this mission and, and, and the world is on a mission for us Christians as we go about our lives to make little of our Savior and his wonders over us. Satan entices us to get distracted, caught up, overburdened, mind-numbingly entertained with the world around us and completely forget the loving, awesome presence of your Savior who is with you always and will never leave you, never forsake you, and how that you can go to Him at any time with anything to have Him carry your burden and woes rather than you carry it all by yourself. He is the one who, uh, who is the answer for this world and the answer for you with everything. Satan wants us to think that everything is on us rather than Christ to view the cosmic event, this great exchange upon the cross as nothing more than a Sunday morning worship service that makes us feel good for a moment and then that's it. Now it's time to move on to real stuff when the rest of the week. Throughout the rest of the week then we'll, we'll neglect, he wants us to neglect the full resources of Jesus' infinite blessings and wonders and treasures that we have in him right now that we have full access to right now if we just go to him by faith. He wants you to think that's silly, stupid, and impractical. See, Satan does not want you to take your eyes off yourself. Self-improvement. He doesn't want you to take your eyes off your circumstances so you can try and fix it. He doesn't want you to take your eyes off the things around us and look to Jesus. Because when we do look to Jesus... Guess what? Our concerns, our values, our wants, our desires, our understanding of the things and people in our life change. And those moments then become not so life-draining and despairing. Which what? That's what Satan wants. But rather, those moments become purposeful, meaningful, because we begin to live for the glory of God in those things and we begin to see his hand at work in those things and in our life and we rest in that. 
Even in the bad things, we see it all happen. We start resting in Christ. And what I mean is this, is that as we look to Jesus and what He has done and is doing and is going to do, this consequently enables us to live as free people in this world, in, this, in the seemingly hopeless moments of our life, the scary moments, the awkward moments, the confusing moments, the disappointing moments, the agitating moments, even the tempting moments. Looking to Jesus and his gospel is what enables us to break through the power of sin in our life, to break the chains of sin that the world hurls upon us. To see past the temptations that Satan puts before us and to see how it's all lies that bring nothing good. Dwelling upon Christ in his finished works, his gospel is what enables us to have life and have it abundantly. As, he, as Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes, Christ, uh, Satan, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's what Jesus gives and says. So the question then becomes, well, how are we to live that way? How are we to keep our Jesus and what he has done at the forefront in our minds and maneuver past the traps that this world and even that our own flesh sets before us? Paul gives us the answer. He says, it's the last piece of armor. He says at the end of verse, of chapter six, at the end of verse 17, and take the sword of the spirit. Paul here says, this is the way we do battle in the world and do battle against the kingdom of darkness that influences it, that, influ that ignites our sinful flesh, all by this sword of the Spirit. Now notice very carefully what Paul is saying here with this passage. And this brings us to our first point. You have a very special weapon. The Spirit, which is God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity, Paul here is not saying the Holy Spirit is the sword, which is important because you don't get to control God or dictate what God does in your life. You don't get to dictate what the Holy Spirit does to you or around you, for he's God and he does what he wants. Paul here is saying something different. He is saying that there is a sword that the Spirit supplies for you. There is a sword that the Spirit is the source of that has been given to you. There is a sword that you can use that will cut and will fend off the true enemy and his ways in your life. The Holy Spirit is not the sword itself, but He is what empowers this sword. And what's interesting then, this word sword is a very particular sword. It's not a big, massive, heavy sword that you have to drag, but a short sword, like a dagger. It's a small sword that was made to cut and thrust against the enemy in, in close encounters. Because remember, Paul said earlier with all this, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, the person in front of you, but against rulers, against Authorities against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So the big idea is that the enemy is a lot closer than you think and is more powerful and is very powerful as it wrestles against you in your life. But Paul says here, you're not left helpless. For you have been given not only armor, but a mighty weapon that you can use both, both defensively and offens offens offensively. <laughs> 
And the weapon, this sword, is easy to take up because it's small. It's a small sword, like, like a large knife. So you don't need to be this Herculean person of strength to take it up and fight with it. For it's given to all and it's accessible to all to pick up by those who have faith in Christ. No matter how great or how feeble your faith is, it's there to be used and can be used by anyone at any stage of your Christian life, no matter where you're at. Now, one last thing before we move on to the last part of this verse. Why speak of it as a weapon? Right? For this context, uh, 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 or for this context, why speak of a sword as part of this armor set? Why not just, why say take up the sword of the Spirit? Why not just say you have the armor, be done, stand there, and that's it? Why a weapon too? I mean, you're already fully protected. Well, it's so that you and I don't live in fear of the world. Fear of the flesh, fear of the devil. Right? When you have a weapon, you're, you kind of feel confident. You're like, hmm, how about you, right? So we don't live in fear of our sin. We don't live in fear of the temptations that will come. We don't live in fear of the hardships that will come. We don't live in fear of the horrible circumstances that we're currently in and don't live in fear of our past. But rather, we can live in the freedom that we're called in Christ to and cut through the straps and the ropes and the chains of sin in our life and fend off the evil one as a free person in Jesus. For when the enemy attacks us, and really in any direction, from the left, right, above, below, behind, in front, or attacks us within our minds and hearts, we have a mighty sword that's empowered by God, the Holy Spirit himself, that he has given us to cut through it all and slice through the defeat that the enemy tries to pull or push or wrestle you into. You have a sword that empowers us, as James 4, 7 says, Resist the devil and he will flee, flee from you. You have the weapon that does it. Now, what is this sword that God, the Spirit, has supplied for us? Well, Paul says the sword is not a physical weapon because remember, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So this sword then, as Paul says at the end of verse 17, which is the word of God, or what we would call the Bible, the Bible is the sword which we fight with and what the Spirit empowers us with. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And this brings us to our second and last point. God's word is your greatest asset. So by taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Spirit then also empowers us to use it as we rely upon Him. Or put differently, as we go to the Bible, as we read it and hear it and dwell upon it, the Holy Spirit applies it to our life and helps us see how it is useful for all in any situation that we're dealing with. This is what theologians call, this word call, is called illumination. Now, on a quick side note, the Holy Spirit's illumination in our minds in regards to Scripture is not the same thing as giving a new revelation 
of God or doctrine. No one's getting new visions of how to know God or getting new doctrines or hearing God say new things about the Christian faith. That would be new revelation. And the Spirit did all that with certain people as they wrote the Bible, which is now complete. All the revelation we need is here, in the Bible, done. It's complete. The faith is handed once and all for the saints. I believe it says Jude 3. But now, but now, since we have that, God, the Holy Spirit, illuminates our minds so that we can understand the Bible understand the truth of what has already been written. He then helps us apply it to our current battle or situation or temptation or hardship or even good situation we are in so we don't fall into sin or so we can repent of our sin or so we can know that our sin has already been forgiven. But ultimately, ultimately, you know what he does with the scripture? in his application to us as we read it and hear it, as we go to it and dwell upon it and speak of it to each other, this illumination, ultimately, what he does is he takes what has been written. He at the heart then, with your heart, points all of it to Jesus and points you to Jesus with it. So no matter where you are in the word, he takes the scripture He lifts your head to show you how close your Savior is to you now through faith alone. In John 14, uh, 14, verse 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. See, through the written word in which we learn about God, who He is, what He's done, with and for his people and what he is doing through his people, now that we have faith in Christ, the Spirit, through the Word, reveals our sins. He's going to show them to you. But he also reveals that Christ has died for those sins. The Spirit, through the Word, shows what we have been called to now, what life we've been called to. But he also reminds us that Christ has accomplished all that is necessary for us to get there by faith in him alone. The Spirit, the Spirit through the Word, brings to light the absolute truth that though God's people doubt him and sin against him over and over again, the Spirit shows us that God never gives up on his people but he still saves and redeems them to the bitter end because he loves them. The Spirit, through the Bible, lets us see the amazing truth that God unconditionally loves and blesses and gives grace and uses people for his kingdom who are liars, and tricksters like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Doubters like Gideon, Jeremiah, and Sarah. The sexually immoral and prideful like David and Samson. The fearful 
and depressed like Elijah. Judgmental people like Jonah. The wretched people like Lot. Even the foremost or chief of sinners like Paul himself, who wrote the very book we're going over. As one person said, God uses broken, sinful people because broken, sinful people are all that there are. God's love for us is greater than our sin. For the Spirit is there to remind us through the, writ through the written word of God that God loves sinners. And so he sent his son to save sinners such as us who could never measure up to his perfect law. God demands perfection. Never forget that. And you ain't perfect. People who could never give anything in return to merit salvation, to merit his blessing or anything good for him. Because God's law not only demands that we owe we, we obey it perfectly physically, but also from the heart. The Spirit reveals all through the Bible, which ultimately always points to the gospel, that God saw us in our helpless estate, and out of love, He sent Jesus to save us through faith in Him, so that we can be with Him forever, even as we fail to live up to the perfect standard of His law. We will be saved by faith alone and not by what we do, but what has been done in Jesus. This is why it's so important to be in the Word, to live in the Word, to dwell on the Word, to feast our minds and hearts upon the Word of God so that we can fend off Satan and his ways in our life and remove his doubts in our mind. For by, for the sword of the Spirit... The Word of God is powerful because it magnifies the glory of what Jesus has done for us in, in the Gospel. And this, by the power of the Spirit, then, fills our minds and hearts and souls to be washed over with this tidal wave of absolute love, the absolute truth of the Gospel, of God's wondrous love for you and me, and His amazing grace for wretched sinners who constantly fail to live up to His perfect law. And this then, consequently, as we go to His Word, which points us to the Gospel, we become filled with gratitude and with God, for, uh, to God, for it all. And it pushes, His Gospel pushes out the sins in our life and fights off the temptations and doubt, right? All the scripture we're reading. Because there's no room for the sin. There's no room for the, for the doubt. Because we're too busy being overwhelmed in seeing how Jesus is enough for us by faith alone in Him. And His grace just becomes so interesting and fascinating that we begin to lose interest in our sins and see them as more and more ugly and useless in comparison, in comparison to knowing our Savior. We see they produce nothing, but He produces everything for us. Scripture becomes the sword that cuts and pierces through sin as we delve deeper into Scripture by faith in Christ. So let us, as Paul says, take up the sword of the Spirit. Let us take up our Bibles, for we have, for we have been blessed with it and privileged to have it right in our hands to read and hear. 
I mean, it's on your phone where you carry with you anyways. Let us go to it to remember that God loves sinners and he will save us no matter what we have done or are doing or will do. For all has been done in Christ. It's finished in him. For we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone, leaving everything else alone. So let's go now to the Lord in prayer and ask deacons to come up in, in the front if you'd like to pray with them. Uh, if you have not received Christ, I pray that you receive him today and know that you have been forgiven through faith in him alone. If you have struggles in your life, I pray that you go to him right now and say, Lord, help me remember your glory and wonder. The only difference between those who don't know Christ and those who do know Christ, what makes them the same is they're both sinners. What makes them the difference is one knows that they've been forgiven and the other doesn't realize that yet. So let's go to him now as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the wonders of your love. Thank you for the wonders of the glory of the gospel that you sent your son Jesus to save sinners such as us, to save us from the wrath to come. God, if someone doesn't know, here, you, know you here today, help them know there is a way out. <clears throat> And that you sent your son out of love for them so they could be forgiven. So that they can have eternal life. So that they can live with you forever knowing that all their sins have been forgiven. And they don't have to do anything to earn anything. They just need to trust. God, I pray for those who are believers. That are having struggles and issues. God, we all have it. We like to hide and think we don't. But Lord, we know there are things in our heart, people we need to forgive, grudges we need to let go of, restoration that needs to be said, graciousness that needs to come from our mouths. Things that we need to tell you we're sorry and things to admit that we have struggles with. To tell you honestly that though we may have stopped the sin physically, it's still there in our heart and we commit it mentally. Help us, Lord to run to you so we can repent of those things and rest in your unchanging grace over us and know that we have been fully forgiven through faith alone in your son. We pray this in your son's name, amen.